Welcome to the Garage Podcast, presented to you by the Young Adults Group at Salem First Baptist Church. Thanks for tuning in to hear this week's message from Pastor Tyler Hankey. All right, friends, we are in a series on called Limited, and it's all about the things that God gives you in your life that limit you, that keep you from moving forward for your betterment, and other things that God gives you and says, I want you to limit yourself with these things. So last week, we talked about your friends. Your friends will either be one of the greatest encouragements and advancements to you or one of the greatest limiters you ever experience. So choose wisely. Today, we're talking about your pastors. We're talking about pastoral leadership. Not because I'm obsessed with myself, but because scripture talks about it, so we gotta talk about it. So your pastor, those in leadership over you, again, can be one of the greatest limiters to your growth or one of the greatest advancements and encouragements to your growth. And so you need to understand the role that you have in your pastor's life. And I, as a pastor, need to understand the role that I have in your life. When you and I understand this symbiotic relationship, this mutually beneficial relationship, when we understand that we are both blessed, we're both protected, we both get to grow. If we don't understand this, we both get hurt and both of us stagnate in our growth. So it's unbelievably important that we understand this. So... What I'm going to give you is three things that you need to do, three things you need to understand, and then conversely with myself, two things that I need to do and two things that I need to understand. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 17. We're going to move around scripture quite a bit today, but Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Now, in an age and a culture where church membership is not overly important, this scripture screams against that fact, and it screams that one of the safest places for you to be as a believer is in a local church under pastoral leadership, and here's why. Here's the first thing that you need to understand about your role with me and and with Pastor Mark and any other pastor that you have. He says, I want you to submit to their authority. Now, just like in Ephesians 5, when it says, ladies, submit to your husbands, don't overthink this one. There's nothing hyper-spiritual about this. It's submission. It means there's an authority and I need to come under this for my betterment. Now, for some of you, that's very easy to hear. You've never been abused. Leadership has never taken advantage of you. Others of you, You've been in a place where leadership has taken advantage of you. So for me to say, submit to leadership, you're like, no, I don't want to. So to you, I say, hang on for a second, because I'm going to tell you why we're doing this. But let's assume for a second that you're okay with pastoral leadership. Why, again, would submission be a good idea? Why for you is it beneficial for you to look at pastoral leadership and say, I submit to your authority where you say to go, we're going to go. Why is that good for you? Because submission indicates that in the church, God has created leadership and structure, and he loves it. God has created leadership and structure, and he loves it, and it's a benefit to you. When we see, when we see submission and leadership and structure, what happens? Where there is structure, there is peace. Where there is authority, there is peace. Now again, authority can be abused, but let's not look at those outliers. Let's assume that the leadership is healthy. Where there is healthy leadership there is peace. And you know this is true because when you look at other countries, other businesses where the president leaves or the president is evil or there's just no president at all, there's chaos. 
Where there is an absence of leadership, where there's a vacuum of leadership, someone is always gonna try to fill it and there is chaos. Do you want a church led by no one or do you want a church led by someone? The danger of that is that maybe that person is unhealthy. But again, let's assume they're healthy. Where there is structure, there is peace. Where there is structure, there's direction. We know where to go. And, and I'm just gonna add another one really quick. Where there is leadership, where there is authority, there's responsibility and accountability. If Salem First Baptist Church goes under, if it dies, is anyone gonna blame you? No. No one will even mention your name. If Salem First Baptist Church goes under, they're gonna say, it died under Mark Hankey. Leadership is powerful, but leadership comes with it an enormous responsibility. It's why we say the buck stops here. Now you might, especially in your age group, be growing up in a business or in an organization where you don't like your boss, but here's the reality. One day you might be that boss. And I promise you, you're gonna want the respect of those under you. And so if you're ever in a position where you're starting to get angry and agitated and you start mistreating leadership, I want you to imagine yourself in their position. If everything rides or dies on you, there's a fear there. There's a responsibility, there's an accountability, and you need to remember that that rests on the leader that you are sitting under that you're mad at. So if there's a boss you do not like, even if they're misbehaving or flat out sinning and rebelling against God, no matter what, the responsibility, the ride or die moment still rests on them. And you need to remember this. So no matter what happens with your pastor, whether you love him or hate him, responsibility rests on that individual. When he is healthy, there is structure, there's direction, and there's, there's responsibility and accountability, and that's a beautiful thing. When they're not healthy, that's where things start to fall apart. But before I move to what, might, what it might look like to fall apart, what I want you to begin to fall in love with is how much God loves order and structure. You see it absolutely everywhere when you start reading scripture. When I look at the Trinity, there is order and structure and accountability in the Trinity. There is God and God sends the Son and there's the Son and the Son gives the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit goes and moves and the Father knows things that the Son and Holy Spirit don't. What you see are roles and responsibility and order and people doing different things. When I look at marriage, there is headship and there's submission. You can get angry at that, but the fact is there remains two different positions. And God says, and he doesn't tell you why, but God looks at the husband and he says, I'm gonna give you a certain amount of responsibility, sir. This marriage is on you to order and give structure to that your wife might thrive. Now, ladies, it doesn't mean you have no role or responsibility to keep it healthy, but it says, at the end of the day, you wanna know who's responsible if the thing blows up? The husband. God's going to the man just like he did Adam. When Adam and Eve messed it up, he didn't say, Adam and Eve, where are you? He goes, Adam, where'd you go? And why did this happen? What this means is when I look at the church, when I look at marriage, when I look at businesses, there is inevitably going to be a position of order and structure, and we need to recognize that and appreciate it for what it is. You might not always like it, it might not always function the way that you want it to, but God looks at the world, he looks at the church, your marriage, business, and he says, I wanna see order and I wanna see structure because where it's healthy, there will be direction, there will be accountability, there's gonna be structure and there will be health. So when you look at the church, the writer of Hebrews says, I want you to look at your pastor and I want you to submit. But it's not just 
submit in the sense that, okay, fine, I'll do whatever he says. That's not what he's saying. That is not what he's saying at all. It's not do whatever your pastor says. That's not healthy. He says, so, so back up in verse 17, there's something that he says before authority. He says, I want you to have confidence. I want you to have confidence in them. Another way to say that is I want you to trust them. Now, some of you are, your mind is racing already and you're like, but what if they're not trustworthy? We're gonna get to that. We will get to that. I want you to imagine that they are trustworthy. And it says, I want you to have confidence in them. My friends, there is a massive difference between doing what someone says and following them. There's a massive difference between doing what someone says because you're ordered to and following them, to be with them. My father was, when he first got married to my mother, he was a teacher and he made a pretty decent wage and, and he knew where he was going, all teachers do. I know what my life is gonna look like, I know what retirement's gonna look like and there's a lot that you can expect from that. And so when he went to my, my mom and he goes, Carrie, I, I feel like God's calling me to ministry and in order to do ministry, I'm gonna need to leave Oregon and go to Colorado and go to seminary and I'm not gonna be able to make a living wage and you're gonna need to work harder than you ever have to help support me as we go do that. Not only that, I'm gonna pull you away from all your friends and family for years and we're gonna go live in a dangerous part of Colorado in inner city Denver. Now, when he first started thinking of this, he's like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't reveal that strategy to my wife because if I do, she won't want any part of it and I'm not gonna to get to go do what I love. When he finally built up the courage to say it, my mom replied this way, sweetheart, I will follow you anywhere. Now, what dad could have done and what any husband can do is say, sweetheart, here's where we're going. Whether you like it or not, here's where we're going. And this is what we're gonna do. Technically, can a man do that? Sure. Is that an abuse of the headship position? I think it is. But can he technically do it? Yes. But what dad did and what mom gave him was confidence in the position that he held. And ladies, that's the gift you give to your husband. And it's the gift that you give your pastor, church, is to say, I might not fully understand where we're going, but I trust you, so we're gonna go in that direction because you said so. I'm not doing what you said because you said it. I'm doing what you said because I trust you and I trust the position. <clears throat> I went and I did a pastoral visit with my dad. This was years ago. I've told some of you this story. It was so fun. We go to this guy's house and we're talking for a while and we're doing communion with him because he, he, was, he was essentially bedridden, but he got up to sit with us. And with the little strength that he had, he walks over to his safe and he opens it and he pulls out a vial of gold and he comes to my dad and he goes, Mark, I don't care what you do with this, but I trust you and I like where the church is going. Do whatever you want with it. It was $30,000 worth of gold. And he said, I don't care what you do, I trust you and I trust where the church is going. You have my confidence. My friends, the reason that Pastor Mark, the reason that my father left Oregon to go to Colorado is because my mom didn't do what he said. My mom gave him confidence. And you will do the same thing with your pastors if the relationship is healthy. And you do this in a number of ways. You do this by saying, hey, I just want you to know I'm praying for you and I never miss a week. Hey, I want you to know I've got some money and I'm gonna give it to, to the church and I don't care what you do with it. We speak with our money, we speak with our prayer, we speak with our encouragement. And for you to go to your pastor and say, you know what, I might not fully understand where we're going, but I'm with you. Confidence is always transferred, always. 
Now, we need to do our best to earn this, and that's true, and I'm gonna get there in a minute, but one of the greatest gifts you give to your pastor is to say, with my body, with my money, with my actions, with my prayer, I'm with you. How much more fun is that church than a church where you're like, all right, whatever the pastor says. That, that's not fun. That's not relationship. That's not drive. That's not vision. But if you say, you know what? I trust you. I've seen where you've been and I like where you're going. I'm, I'm with you. That's fun. That's exciting. Now, again, some of you are, maybe you've been hurt by leadership. Maybe you've been in a church where the pastor was untrustworthy and you're like, you know what? I'm gonna come to church, but I'm not gonna give you my heart. That's a problem. Let me tell you why you should give your heart. You wanna know why? There's two reasons why giving confidence and, and submission to your pastor is a good thing. Here's reason number one. Your pastor is being watched by the most lethal being in the universe and he will give an account for every word that he says and every action that he takes in life and relationship with you. When you go back and you read the text, what does it say? Give them, submit to their authority because, and if you like to write in your Bible, you underline this one. This is the threat to me, not to you. Because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. I don't know exactly what it's gonna look like, but here's what I imagine my entrance into heaven is gonna be like. If we all die at the same time, you're gonna walk through the gate and God's gonna say, I love you. Well done, good and faithful servant. He's gonna say, Tyler, come here. And he's gonna sit me over at the side of the gate and I'm not going in yet. And he's gonna open a giant scroll and every single one of your names is gonna be on it. And he's gonna go, how'd you handle Eli Cole? Walk me through it. How'd you handle Hannah? How'd you handle Kurt? How'd you handle Drew? And he's just gonna go down the list and I'm gonna need to give an account for every coffee date I had with you, every walk I had with you, every prayer that I had with you, every moment where we shared relationship together, God's gonna go, walk me through it. What was your thoughts? How'd you handle them? I told you this last week, I don't treat you well because it's the right thing to do. I treat you well because God says, that's my little girl, that's my son, and you will treat them well because I'm coming back. The threat is not to the church, the threat is to the pastor. And all pastors, any of the pastors that ever hurt you will be punished for the way that they treated you. And I will, be, I will have to walk God through all the moments I had with every single one of you. I don't know what that looks like because at the same time that I'm being, in a sense, punished or rewarded, I'm gonna be loved by God. So I, I don't understand what it's gonna look like or feel like, but I know what happens. The way that I live life with you is as one who is being watched the entire time. And you all know you behave differently when your boss is watching you than when your boss isn't watching you. I hope because you're, in, you're an integral individual that it's the same, but let's all admit, there's certain moments where we don't behave the best when our boss is gone. My boss is watching me every single day. And so I need to treat you a certain way. That's why for you to say, you know what, Tyler, or, or Pastor Mark, whoever your pastor is, if you say, you have my allegiance, you, ha you, you have my submission, you do that because you don't need to threaten me. God's already doing it. You don't need to say, hey, you better not mess this up. I already know that. Your pastor already knows that if they're reading the word. Now, here's another reason why you should do this, and this is kind of funny. It says, do this, submit to them, give them your confidence, your trust, so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, because that wouldn't be of any benefit to you. So think about this logically. We so desperately desire to be treated well that sometimes we demand it, and God's like, you don't need to do that, friend. 
Because let me show you two different scenarios. Scenario number one, your pastor wakes up and he's like, shoot, it's Sunday. Scenario number two, pastor wakes up. It's Sunday, let's go. What's the difference? One of them is unbelievably excited to see you and they've been prepping all week and praying all week and the other one's exhausted and burned out and tired. Which one will deliver you a better experience? Which one's gonna lead you better? Which one's gonna cast better vision? Which one's gonna pray for you more intently? The second one. So for you, if you're ever thinking like, man, what can I do for my pastor? I don't know. In what way can you bless him? Now, I know that this sounds in a weird way self-serving, and I don't mean it to be, but let's just deal with scripture. Whatever you do to bless your pastor increases the likelihood that you will be blessed by your pastor. When you start thinking about this, what I need you to remember, and I'm not trying to dog on the church, I'm really not, and I'm not saying this message because you're doing a bad job. This church loves me very well, and this church loves Mark very well. But I need you to recognize, because some of you are gonna leave, and you're gonna go to different churches one day, and that's great. And what you need to know is that senior pastors have the same life expectancy as ER doctors. Four years. The average lifespan of a pastor in his position as a senior pastor is four years. It's the same as an ER doctor. That's not okay. We are in a culture that is eating pastors and spitting them out. And here's the thing. If the pastor's job is to reach out and bless you, if that's the pastor's job and they're all just burning out and dying, then who will lead and who will bless and who will pray? It's not okay. We need to build a, a structure, a system where the pastor, not is elevated to some prestigious level, but where the pastor is protected because when they're protected, when they're safe, you are protected and you're safe. If we're so scared of a pastor abusing a position that we all distance ourselves from, from them, no, no one's benefiting from that. No one is benefiting from that world where, where sheep and shepherd are separated. Friends, when you, when you look at the pastor's job, what I need you to understand is that there's enough threats on the pastor from God to create a hostile environment where the pastor's afraid to go to church. It doesn't do anybody any good. So he says, give your pastor your confidence. Give your pastor submission and in turn, your pastor is responsible for who you are and who you will become. When I, when I read this text, the thing that I absolutely love is that this gives me such a clear picture of my responsibility to you. It says, do this because they keep watch over you as one who must give account. So when I look at what my job description is, I'm a soul keeper. I am a keeper of souls, not that I possess them, but that I look at who you are as an individual and I've got two responsibilities. Number one is to protect you. Number two is to help you grow. Number one is to protect you and where you're at. And number two is to help you grow and become more like Jesus. How do I protect? Number one, I keep a watch for wolves. I've kicked a number of individuals out of this group because they mean you harm. And I'm always watching. And I know what a wolf looks like. And when that individual comes in and they're not looking for Jesus, they're not looking for service, they're not looking for the church, they're looking for a woman, I'm like, that's not okay, you need to leave. In my time in this group, I've already kicked out three of them because that's not okay with me. So ladies, who you are is protected by me as I'm watching out for wolves. Here's another thing I look out for. Song of Songs says, watch out for little foxes. 
Those are the things that ruin intimacy and ruin relationship and bring about lust and bring about mistreatment of people. I'm shooting foxes. I'm trapping foxes. I'm kicking them out. I'm walking you through what healthy relationship looks like. Here's other ways that I protect you. I'm building fences around your heart. I'm showing women what healthy men look like. I'm showing men what healthy women look like. I'm showing you what healthy leadership looks like. I'm showing you what healthy family looks like. I'm calling you into relational reconciliation because a danger for you is broken relationship. I'm calling you to handle your money well because money is plutonium. It's radiation in your hands and it's gonna kill you if you don't handle it rightly. These are different ways that I look at your life and I say, I'm going to keep you safe. There's not a single week that goes by that I don't pray for you. When you bring about a hurt or a painful situation, it's going to 30, 40, 50 different people to pray for you. When you let me know what needs to be prayed for, it's going to an army. That is how you are protected. In fact, there's a protection so powerful in the church that when you come into church discipline, God says that when the pastor pulls the umbrella of protection off you, Satan has free reign to obliterate your life. There is a spiritual protection on you right now that you can't see, maybe you can't feel it, but it's there. It is a prayer shield being given by all the pastors every single Tuesday, every single Thursday as we look at you and think about you and pray for you. That is the shield that exists around your life and that exists because you go to a church and you say, this is mine. That pastor, he's mine and I'm with him. I am a protector of souls. I am also a developer of souls. My father oversees 22 different horses. He feeds them every day. Now, you, if you don't know anything about horses, you might think horses eat grass and they drink water. That's it. That is not it. Horses are giant cats and they make no sense and they're really annoying. I don't really like them. Horses eat like 20 different types of grass and all kinds of different grain and there's always something that's going wrong with them. A horse is so dumb that... There's certain horses that when they go out to pasture, if you leave them out there too long, they will eat themselves to death. Like, that's how dumb they are. I mean, that's like me and you going to brunch and we just don't stop eating until we, like, pass out and die. It doesn't make any sense. Some horses drink too much water. Some horses don't drink enough water. So every single day, Pastor Mark is looking at horses and by their blood type, by the type of horse they are, by the way they look that day, he is addressing how much do I feed them, what do I feed them, when do I feed them, and that's the exact same thing that is happening with you in your life right now. Me, the one that directly oversees you, Pastor Mark, and all the other pastors and deacons and deaconesses that oversee you, they're looking at your life and they're going, okay, what do they look like today? They look a little spiritually malnourished. I need to take them out for, for a coffee date. Um, there's someone is looking at your life and they're going, you know what, they need to be prayed for today. They're looking at your life and, and it's different for everybody. Some of you, I... I speak with you unbelievably gently. Others of you, you are dense as a brick and I hit you like a hammer, okay? Some of you, we can talk about things and you get the point in five minutes, you are wise. Others, others of you, I'm working on the same point with you that I've been working on for four years. God bless you. God bless me, you are dense, okay? As a shepherd, I'm looking at this group of sheep and I'm not saying that as an insult, I'm saying that as someone that stinking loves you and analyzes where you are healthy and where you are not and says, okay, here's where we're going. That is the essence of all leadership. It is the leadership style you will deal with your spouse, with your kids, with your business. You see where someone is at, you see where they could be, and you do everything in your power to get them there. That is leadership. I see where you are, I see where you need to be, and I'm gonna get you there. 
by whatever means necessary, which is why, and here's the convicting part, if you are stagnated in your growth, could the reason be not it's your pastor's fault, could the reason be that you are not connecting to church, you're not going to church regularly, you show up every now and again and you're like, how come no one's pouring into me? You don't show up. It would be like a horse running out and being gone for two months, running back into pasture and going, how come no one's feeding me? Because we don't know you. Wherever you decide to go for the rest of your life, you find a church, you plug in, you know the pastor's name, you get their number, and you begin connecting. That is the sheep-shepherd relationship. And the point of it, the main point, the main emotional point, the outcome of this relationship is that you would be blessed and I would be blessed and we would both be protected. That is the goal of the shepherd-sheep relationship. It is not that the pastor be protected and, and become wealthy while you get hurt. It is not that you exist and you're protected and the pastor just dies and burns out. It is that you are safe and I am safe. God says, I need you. I don't just talk at you. I live life with you. I serve with you. I know you. When, when you think about H2O, we didn't just pick a topic. Caleb went to all of his leaders and he said, I want you praying and fasting this week. He gave them a week and he said, I want you to pray every single day for an hour. And we're all gonna come back at the end of it and we're gonna agree on what we think the high schoolers need. It's not, Tyler, what do you want to speak on? It's what does the group need? And I do this with you guys all the time. It's not, let's just lob out a topic. It's what are you dealing with right now? What do you need to hear? Where are we going? Where's the target? I want you to be the healthiest group of young adults in Salem, period. Period. And part of that is understanding where your limits are. And again, last week, your friends are one of your greatest limits. And today, your pastor can be one of your greatest limits. And what you need to understand about the pastor relationship is that it does you no good to shame the pastor. It does you no good to talk behind their back. It does you no good to distance yourself. You got two options. You either press into your pastor or you leave. Okay, you with me? And I'm not saying that as a threat. You either press into your pastor and you go, you know what? If I'm gonna be at this church, they're my leader. I'm gonna, we're gonna get closer. I'm not gonna distance myself. And if you can't do that, that's when you leave. That's when you go find another church. It does you no good to sit in a church and go, he's my pastor, I just don't like him. That does you no good. It does the pastor no good. You press in, you do life together, or you say, you know what, God, maybe you are calling me to a different church, and that's okay. You're not a bad person if that's the answer. So my friends, when you look at what you are responsible for, you need to have confidence in your pastor. You need to submit to their authority, and your pastor needs to earn that. Okay, you with me? That is my goal. That's Mark's goal. Here's one more thing that I want you to look at. This is Hebrews 13, 7. It says this, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So friends, when you do life with your pastor, there are two things that you need to be watching. Number one, I want you to watch the outcome of my life. The way, of, the, the way that I do life, and I want you to watch my faith. There are two things, and not just mine, any of your pastors. You look at the outcome of their life and analyze it, and then you look at their faith, and it says, I want you to imitate that. I want you to copy that. 
See, here's what's funny, and this, again, this is how you need, to, you need to begin to understand the emotional and mental state of your pastor. When I look at this text, there's a level of fear that rises in me, a level of urgency to live a life that I can recommend to you. I want you to look at the way that I raise my kids. I want you to look at the way that I handle my money. I want you to look at the way that I handle conflict. And if you look at any of those and you're like, that's not okay, that's a problem. Now, friends, this does not mean that I do everything right at all. It doesn't mean that I do everything right. What it does mean is that I need to honorably be able to say that the way that I raise my kids, I can recommend that to you. Because here's another thing that you need to understand. Titus 1.6 says that the spiritual tenor of a man's family is the, one of the main indicators as to whether he can be your pastor or not. So if you're ever on a search team, let me just bless you. Don't look at the man's sermons. Look at that later. I want you to ask two questions. Do his kids love Jesus and does his wife like him? Do his kids, and, and we're assuming his wife is a believer, so you don't need to ask if she's a believer. You're assuming that. If that's not the case, then God help the man. Get him out of there. Do his kids love Jesus and does his wife actually like him? I know too many pastors that can deliver a pretty decent sermon. Their wife hates him though. They can be, they're an incredible communicator and they can organize a church and their kids want nothing to do with them. My children, my wife, it's my primary ministry. If I'm failing there and succeeding here, I am failing. That's all there is to it. Your pastor has to look at his family and go, number one priority. My kids are, are, are not perfect, but they are well-behaved. They're, they're searching after Jesus. Again, not perfect, not sinless, but my kids are hunting after the Lord and my wife actually likes me. When you look at a pastor, I want you to look at their kids because if you one day are elders, gentlemen, if one day you lead a church, you better be looking at their children because it's the number one indicator as to if they should be your pastor or not. Here's another one, how do I handle money? Now, look, again, I am not perfect. I have not handled money perfectly, but I'm a pastor with zero debt, I own both of my cars and I have a home. I can honorably say to you, I recommend the way that I handle money. Now, are some of you infinitely smarter than me? Yes, probably most of you. Do you handle money better than I do? Yes, probably most of you. But if you are concerned about money, I can confidently say to you, we can go out to coffee and I'm gonna give you wisdom. We can go hang out, and I promise you, you will be better off when you leave than when you came to me. Because I'm not screwing around with my money, I'm not buying inappropriate things, and I'm not in crippling debt. I have handled it well, and I can say to you, do you wanna do well with money? Come do what I did. Here's another one, I want you to look at how they handle conflict. Does your pastor gossip? Do they slander? Do you look behind them and you see a, a, just a row of dead bodies? Obviously, not literally. If you see that literally, then your pastor's a murderer. So you should probably call the police or run. When you look behind your pastor, when you look behind your leader, do you see a river of broken people or do you see lives changed? Do you see people growing? When you talk to other people about your pastor, now, if a pastor's doing what God's called him to, he's gonna make enemies. So not everyone is gonna love your pastor. That not everyone loves me, I guarantee it. Go find, I can give you some names of young adults that aren't big fans of me. But on the whole, 
can I confidently say that I have handled people well? Yeah. I had one of my neighbors come to me the other day and put a, a note on my door, didn't say who he was. It was very passive aggressive. It was concerning my dog. We've, we just moved and my dog's not, he doesn't bark hardly ever, but in this new house, he's barking all the time in the backyard whenever we leave. So he leaves this very passive aggressive note talking about my dog barking um, and how we were bad dog owners and, and all this stuff. So my, my wife, God bless her, was so wounded. She was like, I don't even want to go outside. I don't want to talk to my neighbors. And I was like, okay, I get that. I'm going to go talk to all of them. And we're going to figure this one out. So I had a feeling who it was. So, and I, I nailed it. It was the first house. So <laughs> you all know, like whenever you get a house or, or apartment, you know who the neighbors are. You're like, okay, so it was him. So I knocked on his door and here's what was funny. You live in a world where everyone is expecting a fight out of you. And when you are the type of person that diffuses conflict, you are so rare, it's stupid. So I knock on the door and, and I was like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm Tyler, I'm your, I'm your neighbor. We, he had met me one time when I first moved in. He's like, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. That's it. So this was the only time I actually talked with him. And I was like, hey, I just want to apologize for my dog barking. You should have seen his face. The man, when the door opened, he was like, okay, like, I'm, I'm ready. Whatever this stupid young buck has to say, I'm going to wreck him and his stupid dog. And I was like, sir, I am so sorry my dog bugged you. And he was like, well, shoot. <laughs> like, you, you just diffused the whole thing. And I was like, thank you for letting me know that he was barking. I'm going to do my best to make sure it doesn't happen again. When you look at your leaders, do they have an ability to calm individuals down or every time they get in a, in a talk with someone, does everything blow up? When you look at your pastor and you look at the angry people that are coming up to the front of the stage or you look at the, 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 the rumors going behind closed door meetings, what are you hearing? Does this pastor help people heal or does he inflame everything and everyone's always mad? Or what, is, what have your conversations with your pastor been like? And again, some of you are coming from churches where you're like, all of the conversations are bad. Like every time we talk, he's always right, I'm always wrong, and I never feel like he actually listens to me. Does your pastor listen to you? Because I need to be able to say to you, I recommend the, the way that I handle conflict. Are you struggling with other individuals in relationships? Let me talk to you about it. I recommend the way that I do it. Because at the end of the day, I'm turning enemies into friends and I'm calming angry people down and I'm building bridges where others are interested in burning them down. That's what I'm doing. What are you doing? Here's the other thing. He says, I want you to imitate their faith. I want you to look at your pastor and I pray in Jesus' name that you can say, I like where they're going, I like their faith and I want it. I was talking with um, Adon. He was one of our former uh, pastoral interns under Mark. And he, he took a, a church out in another city. I won't say where it is because th this church is just a bear. It was a, a, a toddler throwing a fit. And this church had been through nine different pastors in six years. Nine pastors in six years. They were just chewing them up. So he gets in there and he was infinitely more steadfast than some of the other men. He can just take a beating and so he started building this remnant inside the church of healthy individuals that wanted to move forward. And he goes, 
He goes, guys, he just gathered them together. He goes, we need to pray and fast concerning the future of this church because we're hurting. And the six or so people that were sitting there go, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. We can pray, but we've never fasted before. And he goes, I'm sorry? The, these people were all 60 or 70 years old. And he was like, you've never fasted? And they're like, well, no, no one ever showed us how. Like, we, we didn't know that's the thing pastors do. We thought Jesus did that. Friends, when I talk to you about fasting, you know, like when a 20-year-old says, I've never fasted before, I'm like, okay, I can deal with that. If you're 50, 60, 70 years old and you've never fasted, I'm like, have you just skipped large portions of the Sermon on the Mount? Did you look at what Jesus did and go, that's what Jesus does, I'm just not gonna do it. Did you look at the apostles as they were planting churches and go, man, that's really neat how they did that, how they fasted and prayed for leadership? I'm just not gonna do it. Guys, I don't mention spiritual disciplines to brag to you. I mention it because I want you doing it. I mention it because one of the greatest abilities you have is not what you are capable of. It's your ability to connect to a holy God and change hearts through him. Humbling yourself in prayer and fasting is one of the greatest ways to see spiritual change in areas where you don't think there can be change. So when you're in in a marriage and you're fighting and you're like, my wife just doesn't get it. My husband doesn't get it. We are not connecting at all. You wanna know what I want you doing? I want you saying, Lord, I need to fast and pray because I can't change this. And you are right, you can't, but he can. And God can bring about the change in people that you think are so stone cold, they're just a piece of granite, not a human being. God can warm that heart, but what he needs from you is to say, you know what, I can't do it, I need to pray, I need to get on my knees, I need to fast, and I need to jump to a level of intimacy with God I've never been to before. Can you look at your pastor and say with full confidence, I, I want that. I want that faith. I want that level of dependency. I want that level of drive. I want that level of humility. I want that level of excitement about Jesus. If you can't say that, then again, go back to my other point, two things. You either press into your pastor and you say, we're gonna grow together, or you find a different church. Your pastor, as designed by the Lord, is designed to protect you and to generate growth, cultivate growth in you so that you might become more like Christ and be more effective in this crazy world that we're in. One of the greatest limiters in your life is gonna be the man on the stage. So choose your pastor very carefully. Again, I just wanna say at the end of it, I am not sharing this message because I'm angry with you or with the church. I love you, I love this church, and they, you handle pastoral leadership really well. You wanna know how I know? Pastor Mark is in his 36th year of senior pastoral ministry. You've done a good job. I have been at this church for 12 years and on staff for about four and a half, and I'm doing fine. Your staff is doing fine because you do a very good job. But what I want for you is one day, if any of you leave and you go to another church, get in there. Dig deep and do life with that pastor so that you might be blessed and he might be protected. Okay, let me pray for us. Father, it's a funny, funny thing giving a message like this because so much of it sounds self-indulging, but I don't mean it like that at all. 
I just I pray for the pastors of this city that they would have individuals in their congregation that read this text and take it seriously. I pray for a church that we like like we have for everybody where the pastors are seen and heard and protected and where the congregants feel seen and heard and protected. So I pray for a mutually beneficial relationship for all of us that we would be safe that we would grow and that we would see lives changed because the pastor is healthy and the church is healthy. I pray today for those heading up to H2O that you would keep them safe. God, I pray for their drive up, that there would be no flat tires, that there would be no accidents, that there would be um, just alert and awake drivers to keep all the kiddos safe. And God, I pray for the whole week that you would touch the lives and hearts of all the people there, that there would be vision casters born out of this, this camp, that there would be spiritual eyes given to every single one of the kids, that you would speak powerfully through me. And I pray for everybody else this week, God, that you would show them their role in this church, that you would keep them safe, protect them, bring them joy. I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Garage Podcast. We hope the message has made you think deeper about faith and will strike up new conversations as you go about your week. If you want to hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Have a great week.